Hello, and welcome to the Enlightened Awakening Podcast, a place of honest and authentic conversations. This week, we are continuing our series on the intrapersonal relationship you have with yourself and diving a little bit into self-confidence and how we can actually seek to develop that in our own lives. Again, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about combating negative self-talk, about leveraging neutral self-talk as a way to be able to navigate around those types of thoughts. We've talked about the bidirectionality of positive self-talk and how it needs to be used strategically. And all of this has been culminating and leading us towards this idea of confidence and building that within oneself. Ultimately speaking, that relationship that we have with ourselves as we intentionally seek to grow that, ultimately the result of that is going to be self-confidence. And so today we're going to go through a couple different steps that we have found to be extremely useful in our own lives to start developing that self-confidence. But Uriel, I want us to start off first and foremost with this excellent definition that you found of confidence. Yeah. So what we found with confidence is it can mean a lot of things for everyone. And we found this definition to actually be quite valuable because it represents a lot of the things that we've found have been really helpful in developing our confidence as individuals. And the definition defines confidence as a feeling of self-assurance arising from one's appreciation of one's own abilities or qualities. Which brings me to the four steps that we've identified on how to build confidence based on our personal experiences and some of the challenges that we face and through evaluation and reassessment of things that have worked and not worked for us. And so we've brought it down to four key factors. The first one is acceptance. So accepting that we're not good at something, accepting our deficits, accepting our inadequacies, and really just being aware of what is actually going on that we need to improve. Number two is changing our thought process from not being competent at something or having an inadequacy in a specific area and to identify that as a change that can happen. So really that is where you really implement that neutral self-talk that we've been talking about for several weeks now. And that's where it becomes really powerful because uh, neutral self-talk really helps kind of flip a switch and give you some objective data on what it is that you can do to make changes, which inevitably will lead to improved confidence. So number three is identifying solution, uh, solutions and applying those solutions, which again leads back to the, the previous episode when we were talking about the application of knowledge and identifying that knowledge. That can be from books, that can be from blogs, that can be from podcasts, but really taking the time to make a list of the solutions that you have identified for that problem that is causing you to not have confidence in yourself and to then make a plan on how to apply those. And lastly, the evaluation and reassessment process of those very solutions that you're planning to incorporate into into your plan. And so we've identified these because we, just like everyone else, understand that confidence isn't something that you're just magically born into. It is something that you develop in your life, but it's also something that is continuous and will continue to need development as you move forward in your life. It's not just something that you gain and remains um, just like a body right? If you're muscular, you have to continue to go to the gym and take care of it. You have to continue to eat healthy. Confidence is something that you continuously have to work towards. But when you have this uh, process identified and you are able to uh, intentionally make changes in your life to continue to build your confidence, it'll be something that is just 
going to be as easy as putting on some socks in the morning and walking out, you know, out of the out of the house to go to work. Yeah, I think you've set it up really well in terms of these four steps. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to walk through each of these steps and share a little bit about how each of these steps has been instrumental in our ability to develop a sense of confidence that is rooted in who it is that we see ourselves to be and ultimately the value that we have to add to those around us. And that also is rooted in what we believe to be our purpose here on this earth, starting with acceptance. So for myself, I actually understood at a very early age what it was that was the primary thing that was causing me to fall into unfavorable situations and that was preventing me from achieving what it is that I wanted to achieve and being who I wanted to be. And that for myself was decision-making. When I was a child, I had a very, very hard time making the right decisions because like most children, I was very impulsive. The problem with that is I was a what we call an externalizer, which is when it is that I had any internal turmoil going on, I acted out. And of course, growing up in a school that was, I would say, pretty well off and it was a pretty well-respected school, they didn't really have a whole lot of tolerance for that sort of behavior. And so for myself, I made a lot of poor decisions that ultimately resulted in, and a lot of people who know me are going to be surprised to hear this because not many people know this, I ultimately ended up being expelled in sixth grade. And I actually got expelled the day before my 12th birthday. That was by far the worst birthday I have ever had. And yeah, there was definitely some things that were going on on a systemic level that led to that. But ultimately speaking, the reason that that happened was because of my own poor decision making. The thing was this. I also was getting in trouble at home. I was getting in trouble at church. Everywhere that I was, trouble followed. And so when I was at home, in between the time between getting kicked out of the school I had been in for the last six years and getting set up in a new school... I actually had nothing to do but to play video games. And the game that I was playing at that particular time is a game called Chrono Trigger. So for those of you who know anything about JRPGs or Japanese role-playing games, this is one of the most well-respected and revered games ever. And the biggest reason for that is there are several different ways to beat the game. And ultimately, that idea of having many paths to get to an expected or desired end was life-changing for me. Like I had no ability to change what happened in the past. I have no ability to go back to the beginning and start differently. What I had control of today or at that time was to make different decisions in the present moment and that those decisions ultimately would lead me to different outcomes. And so at the age of 12, I was able to understand that I had the ability to change my outcomes by making different choices. And so this acceptance piece of the fact that I was the one who was the root of my problems, the poor decisions I was making was the root of my problems, that ultimately led to step two for myself, which was changing my thought process. Uriel, share with me a little bit about how you have applied acceptance in your own life to be able to get this process of developing self-confidence started. As I was sitting here listening to the things that you were sharing, I was just I couldn't necessarily point uh, my finger down into one thing where I've had to accept, you know, a shortcoming that I have in my life and not due to a lack of shortcomings, but there's so many. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing about that is, is, and I, I just keep coming back to this idea of when I was younger 
I have two full brothers and I have two half brothers. So being born into a family of five boys, myself as the fifth, uh, I'm sure many people can imagine just the hardships associated with that. And I love my brothers and and they all love me dearly as well. We have great relationships now. Uh, But when we were younger, I would say that perhaps our relationships were less than desirable for a kid my age at the time. Um, You know, uh, boys going through puberty are problematic in themselves. And uh, I would say that to some degree, you know, they, they would play games with me that I didn't necessarily find fun. That led me to sort of believe that I was kind of like a baby and and I got babied a lot when I was a kid. And it kind of leads to this idea that you're not good enough or that you are incapable of doing things without the assistance of others. And that plagued my life for a very, very long time because I've always felt the need to, to like reach out for the permission of others. Um, specifically, this is with my parents as well. And uh, I was not really that much of a independent person. And funnily enough, now I'm the most independent uh, brother out of all of them. And and that is due to the experiences that I had. But what when it came down to it was that there was a time where when I was younger, and this was sort of like the similar thing, like where my brothers would kind of mess around and, and bully me. Well, I mean, I shouldn't even say bully. They were... They were just playing. I just didn't find their games very fun. Uh, but uh, it, it actually happened in school. So when I was when I was very young, I you know I I did do some sports and stuff, but it wasn't necessarily the thing that caught my eye or my attention most of the time. I was very inclined to education and studying and just getting really good grades. That was my main focus. And um, there was a new kid that had just come to school, and this was I believe in like grade two. And uh, I had this pencil that my mom had just bought me, and this was at the start of the the school year. And this kid tried to take that pencil away from me. And like, he was like, yeah, this is mine. And at that point, I felt that same feeling of like fear that if I stood up to somebody who was bigger, stronger than me, that, you know, I was going to get my butt kicked, which was the same feeling I had if I stood up to my brothers, right? They were all older. They were all stronger than me. And I never stood up. And so in that moment, I, I, I had this, this like sudden hot sensation that overcame my entire body. And obviously that's like fight or flight mode when we really think about it. I had to make the decision to either fear him and not do anything or fight. And in that moment, I accepted that I no longer wanted to be a baby. I no longer wanted to be, you know, the kid that was, you know, having to ask for permission and needed somebody else's supervision and somebody else's protection. And I remember just, and I I got in trouble for this as well, but I remember as the kid went by, he sat back in his desk and was just playing with my pencil on his on his desk. And so I just got up, I grabbed his head, I grabbed his hair, and I smashed his forehead into his own desk. And I took my pencil and I said, you'll never do this again to me because that is my pencil. And so he ended up crying, but that kid was the bully. <laughs> the school actually ended up being the bully for, for the school, ended up getting expelled and had to move after the end of the year. Um, but funnily enough, he never picked on me. and And so I had to accept in myself that I had you know, the strength in me to stand up to this kid. But at the same time, I also accepted that the potential of me getting my butt kicked was very, very high if I acted in that way. But again, it goes just back to building confidence, right? Accepting, hey, I am weak. I feel weak. And you know what? I'm probably going to get my butt kicked, but it's time. It's time for me to make a change. And so that changed my thought process into, I'm no longer a kid. I don't need somebody else's protection, even though I was fairly young. But it was about time for me to start standing up for myself and actually help me improve my relationship with my siblings because I no longer would, you know, let them do what they wanted to do. And I would stand up for myself. And it slowly just started to curve that until they eventually stopped. 
And it turns into respect, right? When you, people see that you are willing and able to stand up for what you believe is right, yeah, initially there's going to be friction there. But ultimately, when everybody is living in a way that is authentic to who they are and what they believe, what inevitably results from that is respect and intimacy and relationships. So that was a great illustration, man. But yeah, it seems like we were both wilding when we were younger, eh? Just a little bit, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Going on to this idea of changing your thought process. And I think that there's so much power in that because once we have been able to accept, as you said, our shortcomings, our limitations, what it is that's holding us back, that's when we can start doing something about it. And so for myself in my life, changing my thought process came shortly after the incident that I described earlier where ultimately I had to realize that the only person that was going to come in and make a difference in terms of the outcomes that I was seeing was myself. Basically, a better way to say that is no one was coming to save me. And if I wanted different outcomes, I needed to change the way that I thought about things. And so before, I was very bad at taking responsibility, and I always blamed systems. I blamed racism. I blamed people being unfair or picking on me because I was one of the only young boys at church. And so I felt like I was always being targeted. And ultimately, what did that cause me to develop? A victim mindset. When you are a victim, you are giving your power away to everybody around you and all these circumstances that ultimately are not in your control. And once I realized that I actually had the power to change my actions by changing, or sorry, I had the power to change my outcomes by changing my actions, that started reformatting so many perspectives and paradigms that I had in my head and helped me understand that I had far more power than I initially realized. And so as I started to think about different ways that I could start to change, that I could start to apply different patterns of thought, that actually unlocked within me the desire to actually grow as an individual because I started understanding that if I wanted to get better outcomes, I needed to become better. And so I started changing the way that I viewed the world around me, as opposed to thinking that everybody was out to get me and that all of these situations were being manufactured for my downfall. I started seeing them as challenges that I needed to overcome in order to move closer to who I am destined to become, that I need to grow or there's some sort of lesson that in my faith that I believe God was trying to teach me by allowing me to go through certain situations that was going to move me closer to who I needed to be to ultimately achieve what I wanted to achieve. I think you put it beautifully when you're talking about how that mentality kind of shifts its frame into like a victim mentality. And there's such a powerful thing about it because for a long time, I also was caught in that. I think a lot of the uh, people that are listening today can also on you know, really pinpoint a lot of areas in their life where they kind of play that role of the victim. But really the thing is, 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 and just to kind of resonate the, the second part of that, where you say that you feel like the world is doing you wrong, really, we are a victim of our own thoughts. We're not a victim of the world. And, and that's the really interesting part about changing your thought process and why this is such a powerful thing. Just like in the story that I was sharing, where I had to make a decision. I could continue to be weak and not stand up for myself and respect myself. And, and even though I knew that the outcome could turned very, very poorly. But ultimately, even if I got my butt kicked, I knew that standing up for myself was the right thing to do in that very moment. And so I decided to take action. I decided to no longer be weak. I decided to no longer be a victim of my own thoughts in that moment. And I wanted that pencil because my mom had bought it for me. It was my favorite pencil at the time. School had just started. I just couldn't believe that somebody would just do that and take it away from me. Now, my reaction perhaps wasn't necessarily the best. And I understand that as an adult, I can't just go and start hurting people. But 
I think it's just about taking that action and no longer being the victim. It's, it's, it's such, a, such a powerful thing. And I, I cannot say this enough, that when we continue to think in those ways and allow our thought patterns to victimize us, then we start actually finding things outside of that to validate that victim mentality, right? And it actually inhibits your ability to actually take action on those very things that you know you can change. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just something that I, I don't think people talk about enough. And, and I just, I cannot say enough to anybody that's listening is stop yourself from being a victim. There is very few times in your life where you cannot do something to make things better. Will it be hard to do those very things and take action? Absolutely. Are things not going to get easier as they go? Absolutely. But there's so much empowerment that comes from actually taking action and changing your thoughts from, I can't do this, and utilizing that neutral self-talk to, there's something I can do. I will do this. I can do this. And that borderlines a little bit into positive self-talk. And, and whatever it is that you need to push yourself to change your thoughts and your thought patterns and to identify solutions is going to be the thing that's actually going to lead to change. Something super powerful that you said that I just want to touch on briefly before we jump to number three about identifying solutions is that you're right. There is almost never a situation where there is nothing that we can do. In fact, Viktor Frankl, who for anyone who doesn't know, wrote the book Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor. And one of the things that he wrote in his book after going through that horrific experience was that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And that encapsulates very beautifully what you were talking about, Uriel, and about how we often underestimate how much power we actually have to change a circumstance that we're in. And in the very rare, and I would dare say unlikely circumstance that there's absolutely nothing that we can do about a situation, we still have the freedom to choose the attitude that we have about what's going on. And so this brings us to point number three about identifying solutions. Because yeah, sometimes the only solution is to change the way that you view a specific situation. But I will say that there are often things that we can do to move us closer to the outcomes that we desire. And there was one really simple trick that I actually started applying pretty early on in my self-development journey, which is an idea that I actually got from this guy who did a very popular TED Talk. And uh, the TED Talk is entitled How to Become a Millionaire in Three Years. But the speaker, Daniel Ali, never once says, this is how I became a millionaire in three years. He just actually shares three very simple ideas that allowed him to achieve the outcomes that he wanted to achieve, which was books surrounding yourself with individuals who are further ahead of you and who can help you get to where you want to go. And then number three, which was goals. And so I wanted to touch on this briefly, this third idea of goals, because it lines up really well with identifying solutions. One of the things he mentioned as a very simple strategy that anybody listening is able to apply is anytime that you set a goal or you have a desire that you want to achieve or something that you want to change about yourself, write down 20 ideas for how you can actually achieve that goal. And what he said in the talk was that, 
yeah, can we identify 20 ideas that can help us achieve a certain goal? Yeah, if we had enough time and enough motivation, you could probably identify 100. But let's start with 20. What are 20 things that you can do to start moving closer towards your goal? And Uriel, in last week's episode, you talked about the importance of actually just picking one of those things and actually executing on that. And I think there's a lot of power to that. Because yeah, if you have a list of 20 things, why don't you look at that and say, today, this is what I am going to do to move closer to solving this problem. And then a week from now, maybe you can add a second thing once you've actually got a good foundation on that one thing and you progress from there. Ultimately, you are going to move closer to that goal. Even if you don't actually achieve it, you will be further ahead. And what does progress do? Progress leads to self-confidence, right? And so this is the power in being able to actually identify solutions, even if they don't work out the way that you want. This is where we really have the power to come back and reassess. But before we go there, Yuri, I want to hear about how you have actually applied this idea of identifying solutions in your own life. See, for me, it's simple once it made sense. Because the biggest change that needed to take place is for me to actually want that change to occur. That's just the the same thing for anyone in everything in their lives. If you actually truly want and have a desire to do something, oftentimes making the change is actually quite easy. Identifying solutions is the, the easiest part. The problem is, is that when we're stuck in things that we don't like that we do that we're like, ah, we're ambivalent about our actual desire to change. That's when it becomes difficult. And so I really... I, I think you touched on something that I wanted to touch on, which was the goals. And so I'm not really going to talk about that, but I want to talk about the two things that you talked about before is about surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and have like-minded goals. And I want to really touch on that and to identify that as a, as a solution. Because when you want to improve your life, you actually have to surround yourself with people that want those very same things. And so everyone that's listening, I want to take a moment for you guys to really assess all of your relationships. And think about what it is that you do with those friendships and how are they benefiting your life? Are you often maybe spending your time doing activities that don't fulfill you or make you feel good? Are you maybe doing activities that actually lead you towards maybe doing things that negatively affect your body, negatively affect your psyche, negatively affect you spiritually? If that's what's happening, I think you need to, I mean, I would say cut them out. A lot of the times we can't do that. But I think that having a healthy amount of exposure to those relationships is really important, just like you can. And just as you said uh, about the goals and writing all those goals down and, and slowly integrating one goal at a time and actually applying it. To identify a solution is the same thing with our relationships. We are a product of our environment. And so when you're actively surrounding yourself by things that aren't positively affecting your life in the way that you wanted to, you'll never actually be able to make that change. You want to lose weight? Don't buy M&Ms and put them in, in your cupboards, right? You got to buy some fruits. You got to buy some vegetables if you want to start eating fruits and vegetables. Like you actually have to create an environment where you want to succeed and that will be the solution to your problems. But people don't realize the negativity that comes also from their own relationships, their own friendships, you know, their own work environments. And that is incredibly important. I know I shared this quote a few episodes ago, but Frederick Nietzsche encompasses this whole thing so perfectly when he says that he who has a why will always find a how. And that is what I just want to convey to all of the listeners. Find your why. Find the reason why it is so important for you to want to make that change. And the solutions will be right there in front of your eyes. Because we know it. There's so many resources. There's so many books. There's so many podcasts. There's so many intelligent people that have outlined so many things that we can then take back and then assess on how we can apply those things into our lives and then actually evaluate 
if they're working or not, and then continue that process on and on and on and on until you reach a place that you feel happy with. And then you've, st- you've created a nice, stable place for you to build on, to- on top of that, right? You never want to stop working. And the self-improvement thing, you have to have a good relationship with it, but you never want to stop. Because like I said at the beginning, confidence is an ongoing like skill that you need to continue to develop. So just because you reach a certain place that you are happy with, it doesn't mean that you stop. If you want to continue to maintain a healthy body, you got to continue to eat healthy. You got to continue to exercise. And that's the same thing for your psyche. That's the same thing spiritually. That's the same thing emotionally. So it's really important to continue this process and never stop. There is a cost to confidence. In order to develop it, you do need to pay a price. And guess what? Rent is due each and every day. That's why we got to make sure that you said it so well, man, that it's something that we need to continually pursue because the moment that you think that you have attained it, that's when you have started going back. Momentum only goes in one of two ways. We're either moving forwards or backwards. We're never staying still. And so this brings us to our last point here around evaluating and reassessing. And you've set it up so well because the power in actually implementing solutions is then coming back and seeing how effective are the interventions that we've actually applied. We talked last week about the power of journaling and chronicling your progress. And I think that this is in an area where we can actually bring this idea back because it really is going to set us up to be able to evaluate things. Again, last week I talked about the importance of actually documenting with dates what it is that you're actually writing down, because that allows you to very easily then track your progress. The thoughts that we have and the perspectives, the paradigms we hold, they can shift continually. But when you put something down on paper, it's almost like a declaration to your future self about where it is that you are right now, what it is that you believe and why you believe what you believe. And so this is why I am a huge proponent of this idea of journaling, but it really does feed into this reassessment and evaluation. And oftentimes, and this was something that I actually needed to grow in, but oftentimes we feel that when we implement a solution, the goal is to have that solution solve the problem immediately. And that's just not realistic because oftentimes applying one solution is going to shed insight and give us knowledge, understanding that we didn't previously have that will then allow us to be able to apply a higher level solution. The Bible says in Proverbs that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Yuri, you talked earlier about the importance of surrounding ourselves with people that are going to allow us to be able to get further ahead and that are going to help us shape the environment that is going to allow us to move closer to achieving the solutions that we want to achieve and ultimately is going to feed into our self-confidence. This is another area where we can actually leverage this idea of assessing and evaluating and then re-implementing. Because when you have somebody else to bounce some ideas off of, especially when they have fruit in that area. And I just want to quickly say, when I say fruit in that area, I personally am not going to go ask somebody for advice in an area that they don't actually have any results in. That is one of the fastest ways to get yourself into trouble. If I want to get better as a husband, let's say, I'm going to go and talk to somebody who I see. And of course, you never really know, right? But somebody who I believe has a healthy marriage and ask them about some perspective, right? Or ask them to share some perspective on what it means to be a good husband. You always want to assess the fruit on the tree, the results that somebody has, and then that's when we're going to implement this. And this is, again, where reassessing comes in super helpful because if you have the ability 
to then go and apply those things in your own life, those solutions that you've ultimately decided could potentially move you closer to those outcomes. Doing journaling to be able to assess for yourself, bringing that feedback from what you've learned to others who have actually gone through similar situations and have successfully passed through that, that can also then shed new perspective, give you new ideas, and kind of reinvigorate this desire to be able to pursue higher outcomes, which will ultimately then lead to that self-confidence. Yeah, the, the evaluation process can either be very simple or very complex, depending on the approach that you'd like to take with it. Um, but I, I do want to, again, highlight the fact that it's important to document where you're at, where you started, and to be able to utilize it as a tool to also see how far you've come. Using these metrics will also provide you with motivation. And sometimes just that little bit of a kick that you might need when there's days where you might not be wanting to sort of incorporate those very things that you want to do. Because change is hard. Change is difficult. Building new habits takes a long time and breaking bad habits takes even longer. I do want to highlight though that we know as people and we have something called intuition that really lends us to know when certain relationships uh, or certain people are good or bad for us. And that same intuition works even for the material that we're consuming. So utilize that intuition, know what's good for you, know what isn't, apply it. And then when you think something's good, you know, see where it takes you. There's a lot of people that have a lot of good things to say. Even there's people that say things that we think are negative for us, but there is good that you can take out of that negativity. So by listening to other people and the different perspectives, you also don't want to align yourself with people that just spit out the things that you think you want to hear. You also want to hear the other perspectives because it's going to give you a, a broader, more general picture of the things that you could or, or shouldn't even do at times. To truly evaluate yourself and your process, you really have to expose yourself to these things. If you want to follow one specific author, fine, apply those things. But if you're finding that that's not working, you know, start to expand your knowledge a little bit more. I am a big believer that you should not, as Timmy has said, overwhelm yourself with knowledge in previous episodes. I really think that when there's just so much out there that it becomes a daunting task that actually inhibits people's ability to be able to actually do anything or learn new things. The world is incredibly deep and complex. And when you really start diving deep into these things, it can be extremely daunting. And the thing that stops people from acting is fear of what's on the other side. And so take it one step at a time, evaluate these sources. If you're not that person, by all means, if you can do more, then do it, right? You're, you're likely to see a lot more progress down the road as a result. But keep it manageable because change is about how you manage it. And ultimately, confidence is built by increasing your competence. And so they're both interlinked. So the more competent you feel and know you are, the more confident you will inevitably be in everything that you do. Beautifully said, man. Confidence is a function of competence, right? And these four steps that we've laid out, acceptance, changing your thought process, identifying solutions, evaluating, reassessing, and re-entering are some of the easiest and most straightforward strategies I think that we've seen in terms of being able to develop that confidence or rather that competence that ultimately feeds into confidence. So thanks for joining us on today's episode, guys. We will continue next week with our series on intrapersonal relationship that you have with yourself. So take care, stay blessed.